0: Hey, fans, welcome to the Self-Tivity Podcast, the podcast dedicated to providing content that contributes to our health, our well-being, and our mindset by sharing resources, stories, and perspectives that can assist our self-investment journey, mindful entrepreneurial journey, and or financial well-being journey. Thank you for being here for the latest series on the podcast, Religion and Spirituality. The following episode is open to this conversation. Only continue this episode if you are prepared to experience the conversation outside of yourself and experience it from a different angle or perspective. If religion and spirituality is a sensitive topic and you are easily offended, practice not taking it personally and enhancing your faith or remove yourself from this experience. All content shared today is intended to be an exercise of freely talk and is not intended to be professional advice, but intended to bring questions to bring us closer together and understand one another. Only put stock in the thoughts and life that align with your self-investment goals. Let's get into today's episode. Are you ready? Because I am. Hey, hey, beans, you are listening to the self duty Podcast. I am Dani, your self-investment storyteller, which means I like to explore and uncover topics that relate to our health, our well-being, and our mindset. And so I perform these storytelling events in multiple ways. Sometimes it's through games and discussion and one-on-one interviews. I have series running right now on my podcast. I started with depression and anxiety and I'm moving into cults now. And I'm so, so excited about this, guys, because I don't think I shared too much here on my podcast, but your girl has been in a cult before and I defined it very differently than most people may define cults. I don't consider it to be altogether the worst experience, but it is related to a religious experience. So my series here is about the cults as it relates to religion, but we will expand and think about cults in all different types of ways beyond religion. But these first few episodes will be focused on religion. So I have my first guest, guys. I am so pumped. <laughs> I have my first guest who's going to explore this series with me and, and share her story. So now it's time for me to start rambling and introduce Jackie Turner. Jackie Turner is an Amazon best-selling author. Of young adult and middle grade fiction, her middle grade book *Bending Willow* was chosen to represent Nevada at the National Book Festival in Washington D.C. Both *Bending and Willow* and *Cracker* were finalists in the Wish and Shelf Book Awards, which are selected by teachers and students. Which is, I think, it's a phenomenal, phenomenal thing to have going on in your life. Thank and you. I had a brief intro to you, but I always like people to share their story, how would they introduce themselves? So, Jackie, the stage is yours.
1: Thank. You. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. And I just love what you do and the light and the love that you bring to the world. So thank you for bringing me on. Um, What I would say about me, I'm a retired, just recently retired trauma therapist. I worked in ministry for a long time part of my life with college students. I work in spiritual direction training now, and I would love to write books and bring hope into the world through my books because the world is a difficult place. So I believe that, yes, we need to talk about real things and we need to do it with hope.
0: Yeah, I love it. I love it. So let's get to the good stuff. <laughs> I'm just joking. I'm just joking. So I do want to get into this conversation. I've been pumped to have this conversation with you all day. And mm. So when I I read that you left Christianity and found Celtic spirituality, Um, is that how you pronounce it? Celtic? Celtic. Yeah. Celtic. Okay. I was not familiar with that. So I Mm -hmm. thought that this would be a nice experience, a a chance for me to explore. So tell us about your experience with Christianity. Tell us the the root of it and maybe the good of it or any direction you want to go from there.
1: Okay, well, I, yeah, and I didn't really leave Christianity. I left evangelical Christianity.
0: Oh, got it. Oh, got it. Which is
1: a very specific brand of Christianity. Um, And as it became more politicized in the 80s uh, and the moral majority and everything, it just became really aligned with power structures. And I got away from what I believe to be the heart of Christianity, which is love. And when I worked for a large Christian organization for most of my life, but at some point they made um, a decision that you had to sign a paper that said you believe that marriage could only be between a man and a woman. And I said, I can't sign that. (laughs) (laughs) sorry, people. So I was invited to leave. And what's hard about that is, you know, when you're working in a ministry, it's not just your work. It's not just your job. It's your fellowship. It's your family. It's your friends. So you kind of lose a lot. It's kind of like a divorce kind of. But what happened that was great eventually after I got over my anger and bitterness was <laughs> that I found God was just a lot bigger than I had originally thought that God was in everyone. And I really believe the light of God lives in every person. And so my theology was able to expand. And when I found Celtic Christianity, it Really is kind of the original Christianity before Rome got involved and, and made everything a little bit crazy. But it's really connected to nature, about God living in all things that are created and finding God in those things and being renewed in nature. And um, I find it really freeing to just have a bigger mindset about who God is. Okay. So
0: the title is not Celtic spirituality, but it's Celtic Christianity. In my yeah.
1: Sense. Christianity is very aligned with. Both Celtic Christianity, Progressive Christianity, and Celtic spirituality—they're all very similar.
0: Okay. So, as it relates to your upbringing, what did that look like? Were you born in the Evangelical? <laughs> no,
1: I wasn't actually. Right. <laughs> Where were no. you?
0: How were you born? In I was
1: raised in a sort of a well. We didn't really do any of that. It's funny. My mom's family was Mormon. My dad's family was Methodist. And when they got together, I don't know. Maybe Maybe they just didn't know what to do with them. Yeah, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> so I actually, yeah, wasn't involved really until my high school and I got involved in a campus ministry at high school. I think it was called Campus Life. So they would have these big, fun rally things every week and you would go and you would play these crazy games. And then they would have a speaker who would share the gospel for like 10 minutes. And I always put up with that because the cute boys were there. And then... <laughs> And then I went to camp with all of them and I really felt like God was reading my mail at camp. And so I did make a really conscious adult decision to follow Jesus at that moment. And it did, I think, do a lot of really great things for my life. So there's a lot about that. I don't really regret any of it because I'm learning to to move beyond it, but to include the good parts. Right, the foundation that is helpful, the things I don't want to get rid of and try to let go of the man made stuff that's just not helpful anymore. Yeah. So with your parents
0: having different types of faith values, did you find any confusion when you were younger before you got to the point when you joined the campus? ministry or was it just like a regular life without any faith included?
1: Yeah, uh, we never like prayed or talked about God. I remember I was really from a young age, very interested. We lived in a town that was really small, had 717 people and one church and it was a Baptist church. So I would just go to church. I was like, six, and I would just take myself to church. And I just loved it. So I would ask my mom, like, how do you pray? So she taught me. Now I lay me down to sleep. <laughs> I pray the Lord my soul to keep that kind of thing. But yeah. she didn't really, they didn't really teach me anything. I just was interested from a really young age. And I had a very sort of mystical faith. Even when I was five, you know, I felt like I would talk to God and God would answer. And so they weren't very involved. And so when I did become a Christian in high school, they thought I had Joined a cult, and so. <laughs> they, wanted, they thought they should deprogram me. And then my brother and sister also did. And so then they're like, "Oh, what happened to our children?" I'm like, "What? We're not drug addicts anymore." You, you know, <laughs> you think you'd be glad, but no, they were a little worried.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. So your parents thought that you were in a cult, and I want to stick there for a little bit or sit there for a little bit because I remember just going to anything different mm-hmm. other than your upbringing may give that vibe of, oh, it's a cult. But it's interesting in your section because your parents didn't really have a a defined religion or you didn't have an upbringing. So it's surprising that they responded that way. So what was that experience like when they responded to you getting into this new adventure? How did that make you feel? What did they say to you? What was that like?
1: Well, I remember um, one time right after I had become a Christian. I got in a fight with my mom about something. And she put a note under my door and said, is that how Christians act? (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, oh, persecution begins at home. (laughs) Yes, that's how it happens. So yeah, they thought it was pretty weird. And, uh, you know, when I graduated from college, I went to work for this organization and my parents were like, oh, come on, you got four years of college and now you're going to go do this full time. So when I met and married my husband, they're like, oh, finally, they're going to do something normal and grown up. And he came on staff with me in the same organization. And they're like, what? But eventually they understood and were happy about it, but they really did not have a frame for it. You said that you were raised in a cult. So were you raised like from the time you were born in?
0: Oh, no, no, no. I wasn't. Well, technically, I wasn't raised in the cult that I considered a cult. But with my definition of cult, I feel like I started out in a cult because cults are created with these communities and these thoughts. And the program was from family. And then from family, I went to Christianity. And from Christianity, I discovered a new type of experience, which was more extreme. It was, it was extreme Christianity and some of the practices that we had there. But the way that I define cult is that it's just a lot of energy that we put towards something. And then we got, like the word cult is like a play on the word of cult. Like if You get caught and tangled up into something. And there's a lot of mind control in a lot of the cults and it could be good or bad if it's not level. So my initial cult as being a part of a family, that was probably a safe one, you know, because Mm -hmm. I got all of these values, you know, I, there was a ruler (laughs) (laughs) parents and things like that. And I just follow those, but I was absorbed and consumed in it. And I didn't feel like there was no intentional... Behavior from me, like okay, I must do this. And so when I started seeing myself be active in something, and, and when I put a lot of energy into whatever the religion that I was following, the concept I was following, I saw that to be like a cult type experience. Um, I will kind of elaborate on that. I know it's kind of <laughs> like all over the place, but it sounds better when I write it on paper. My <laughs> my thoughts are like going in circles, um, but I feel like you can get caught up in something that serves you and you can get caught up in something that doesn't serve you, Mm -hmm. but you're going to be into something. You're going to get caught up into something. And it's always interesting to me that a lot of people look at people who are outside of them and their experience and say, oh, like you're in a cult, but it's because they don't understand like why they were in there initially, what they were trying to get from it. And then their transformation or their development spiritually, Throughout that process, they just kind of look at it as something different from them. But there are a lot of things that you might not call a cult, but the same principles still apply to their behaviors towards that thing. Like Sometimes I think about American sports and, you know, <laughs> you know, <just> this <laughs> is the mindset behind it. It's like, well, yeah, that's yeah. a cult too. <laughs> you know, especially when it comes to team, it's like you're not on, you know, not for that team. In some cases, it can get really extreme. It could be fun and dancer, but sometimes you see them get strength to that level where it feels like a call. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So when you got into your Christianity originally, what exactly did your parents tag as bad about it? Was there anything that stood out to them that looked like it was wrong? Or was it just because it was against what they've been taught?
1: I think it was because they felt judged, even though I don't recall being judgy. I think they were like, you must think that the way we do it is wrong. If you're going to go do it this way. And so I think they took it personally, but you know, it wasn't really about that. I mean, I was just heading down a really bad path as a teenager, you know, I was drinking and smoking a lot of pot back then and headed that way. And it's like, for me, it was actually really healthy change to find people that had fun without doing all that. And I thought they should have been happy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but they, they were just really, you know, like, what's happening? But, you know, I'm older. And so it was back when the Moonies were doing their Mooney thing and the, a lot of cults were doing their cult thing. So oh. yeah, <laughs> I think yeah, they were concerned. The way I see it now is that we grow through these spiritual stages, right? So when we're young, we're in a black and white phase. Everything is like David and Goliath and there's a good guy and a bad guy and all of that makes sense. And that's really appropriate when you're a kid, you need to know that there are good guys guys and bad guys. But as we grow spiritually, then we sort of move into this us and them place. Mm -hmm. And it's a really safe place to be when you're a young Christian, you know, they teach you how to study the Bible and pray and share your faith or whatever. It's like very safe. And it's good for your spiritual development. But at some point, you got to break out of the us and them thing. And Mm -hmm. that usually happens when you hit some kind of a wall, like Mm -hmm. something bad happens, there's a death or a divorce, or you get fired from your job. (laughs) like I did. And that forces you to look bigger, like your spirituality moves to the next place where it's more inclusive of other religions and other thoughts and other ways of being. And that just takes you to a bigger place. And then I think the spiritual growth just continues from there into deeper and more interesting places.
0: Yeah. So how long did you practice the original Christianity that you...
1: Hmm, probably 45 years.
0: 45 years. <laughs> wow. 45 um, years. As you mentioned that it just took them wanting you to sign that paper. Or was there any other elements that added up to you saying, I want to believe? Well,
1: when I became a spiritual director, and I don't know if you're familiar with those words, because I wasn't when I became one, but it's like an ancient spiritual practice of sitting with someone and listening to them as they talk about their spiritual journey. So when I was working, I took a spiritual direction training course, and they really do bring in a lot of voices from the outside of Christianity. And so you're reading like ancient texts and interesting things that maybe I haven't been exposed to and Catholic monks from, you know, long ago and all these voices and Buddhist teachings. And so during that training, I think it began to open my eyes that there was wisdom in a lot of other places and I was just more open. And then we got started having a lot of friends, um rain, we call them our rainbow family <laughs> on the LGBTQ spectrum or whatever you want to call it, and more and more and more of our friends. Right. So then when my organization made that decision, I was like, no. No, that is not what Jesus would do. <laughs> it's just a justice issue to me. You can't make this decision for other people that yeah. love. And so that was the straw that broke the camel's back for me. Yeah.
0: Were there any other people with you with that decision to leave because of that?
1: Or well, they, yeah, I, there were. Because I'm a writer, I didn't go quietly. Yeah. So <laughs> I wrote a whole little booklet about that experience and I sent it to everybody that I knew because I wanted to control the narrative about why I was leaving. You know, yeah. if you just leave an organization, everybody's going to start assuming the worst like, oh, she must have had an affair or something. I yeah. didn't want that to happen because I yeah. love that organization. I love the people in it and I wanted them to know why I was leaving. So I sent that to everybody that I knew. So I went kind of loudly. <laughs> <laughs> and so then it was great because people that were LGBTQ that worked for the organization, they knew that was a safe person to talk to, or if their kids were, or if they just were having trouble signing the paper. So I had a lot of people coming to me and saying, can I talk about this? Can I talk about this? I need to leave too. I think I'm going to leave. Yes. So it was, it was nice to sort of be at the, you know, at the start of that and then be able to offer some help to people that were making that decision. A lot of people left. Yeah. So
0: 45 years, you said that you love the organization and now you're leaving. So when you decided to leave beyond writing about it, how did you deal with it and how did it feel when
1: you left? Oh, it was really hard. Mm -hmm. It was really hard because I say you lose a lot of friends. My brother, my best friend, they unfriended me on Facebook. You know, my brother's a pastor. So anyway, um, (laughs) it was tough. And then so we thought, well, if I'm willing to get fired over this, then I'm willing to I need to do something about it. So we started this group called Shalom, and it was for people that had been hurt by the church that were gay. And so we had this group of people that had been hurt by the church for that and been asked to leave or kicked out of ministry or whatever. And we did that for three years and was super healing for us too, because, you know, obviously people that are actually LGBTQ uh, have been hurt a heck of a lot more than we had. Mm -hmm. And so they were quite welcoming and supportive of us as we went through that, but uh, it was healing for everybody. It was really beautiful three years um, for all of us, I think.
0: Yeah, you mentioned the LGBT community and that being like the primary focus on your dismissal. And you also related to, you know, Christ not being this way. Do you guys follow the Bible, right? Do you guys use the Bible as your primary? Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. So when they made the statement that this is how they felt about the LGBT community, did they have like scriptures to back it up or did they have a a breakdown or understanding why they were making that decision as it relates?
1: There's about six scriptures in the Bible that talk about men being married to women, and all of them can be looked at through a cultural lens and understood differently. But right now, for the church at large, most of them are sticking with those six scriptures. My gay friends call them clobber scriptures because they get clobbered over the head with them a lot. Yeah. But, really, you know, I really honestly believe as people push back and as culture changes that people are going to start understanding those scriptures differently because there's only six of the whole Bible and they can be interpreted different ways.
0: Yeah. The Bible is an interesting book and how it's been distributed in different formats and different languages and and different sentences to say something different. Mm -hmm. Always, always highlights, (laughs) (laughs) always highlights the biblical experience. And so to me, when I was looking at the Bible, I took the Bible for what it was So when I saw certain things in the Bible that was a little against how I saw the world, (laughs) um, I had questions about it Mm -hmm. because it's very interesting. If If you believe in the Bible, if some things are in the Bible that are against your belief, then do you truly believe in the Bible? Like when does do we start to create our own interpretations or is there a flaw with the Bible? Because even with those six scriptures and this is not I'm not leaning one way or the other, but I'm just, you know, having that conversation with you. (laughs) Do you feel like limiting those to just six scriptures limits your entire belief in the Bible? Do you feel like there are other scriptures beyond those six that's related to the LGBT community that should also be reviewed?
1: Well, I think the whole Bible, you know, constantly needs to be reviewed because some of it's poetry, right? Some of it's um, analogy, some of it's story, some of it's letters. It's it should be read in the context of what kind of literature it is. Each part of it's different. And some people try to take, you know, an analogy or a metaphor and say, oh, you know, like this is the truth, like, you know, the world being built in seven days, right? That's a beautiful metaphor, but it's not like scientific. The Bible is not trying to be scientific. So things like that, we need to look at the culture of the time. If you think about all the things in the past that have been justified from the Bible that we now know are wrong, like slavery or like, you know, women needing to be silent in church and all these things. It's like over time you realize, oh, that was written to a very specific culture. And maybe it had a very specific cultural meaning that we don't have now. And so, yeah, we, as the world changes and evolves, we do need to relook at that. I think there's a lot of wisdom in the Bible, but there's also things that we cannot apply today to ourselves. Um, If we did, I mean, the whole book of Leviticus would be like, okay, Mm -hmm. you can't eat, you know, milk and meat at the same time. I mean, it's, (laughs) there's a lot of things. If if your teenager's acting up, you got to go stone them. Yeah. I mean, you know, we don't do that. Why don't we do that? Because it's not okay. (laughs)
0: That's interesting that you put it that way. I never really thought about it that way because you know, the scriptures in the Bible, it kind of reiterates that, you know, the truth is the truth and that God doesn't change, you know, but then you often see changes (laughs) in the Bible. So in some cases it it does start to contradict itself. And some people will tag that to, you know, not understanding the Bible, but if it's a living Bible, then it seems like it would be rewritten over and over again. Like, Mm -hmm. so there's the source Based on what I'm hearing from you, there's a source like that was related to that culture. So is the Bible, if we're changing as a culture and we're no longer in that culture, do you believe that we should be rewriting the Bible based on these?
1: Mm. I don't think we should be rewriting. I think we should be understanding it differently. I don't think all of it applies today in the way that it applied when it was written. But there is wisdom in it. There's a lot of beautiful wisdom in it. But we just need to understand, like, for instance, it's just safer for me just to to look at what Jesus did and how he lived, right? He was kind. He was loving. He was a justice man. He only yelled at the people who are, you know, taking religion to the extreme and not letting people come to God. He was, that's what he got mad about. He got mad at people who were keeping the marginalized away from him, right? And he showed us the way to live, to love, to serve. So to me, it's like, let's just do that. Mm-hmm. If we spend our life just doing that, that's a good life. Yeah.
0: So now that you said that it was hard to leave and, you know, you mentioned the isolation, what helped you move forward and how did you end up with your new spirituality? What was that journey like?
1: I think what helped me most was other people that were also going through what you might call deconstruction of their faith and just the permission to do that. Plus, a lot of wonderful books of people who have gone through this similar process and have come out of evangelical Christianity to rethink things. And yeah, I just have read a lot. And then I meet, now I have a great small group of people who are also going through their, I don't know what else to call it, but deconstruction. And we do life together. We have food, we share stories, we help each other. We sometimes do spiritual things, but it's not in a building, it's not a church. It's very free form. It really meets my needs right now. Yeah.
0: So when it comes to cult, the word cult, do you feel like if there's anything related to the definition of cult or would you think about cult that could be contributed to your first experience or do you feel like it was just a regular religion?
1: I think that there are elements of cult experience in a lot of churches, you know, evangelical churches specifically, especially now that they've aligned themselves with the far right politically. And it's like so far from what Christianity is about. It's all about power instead of love. And uh, it's like, if you don't believe this, then you can't be a part of it, or there's something wrong with you. And that's very cult-like. When people say you can only believe one way, or there's only one way, or if you can't do this, you don't get to be with us. I mean, those are cult-like statements, right? And some that's happening in some churches. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, I haven't been a part of a church That's that intense.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So both of them share Christianity. So it looks like you have the attachment to Christianity. How do you define Christianity?
1: I just call myself a Christ follower. And I try to look at what Jesus did and said and who he loved and who he hung out with and try to model my life after that. You know, he said the greatest commandment was to love God and to love other people like you love yourself. And so I think if I spend my whole life trying to do that, then it's going to be things are going to work out pretty well for me. So I focus on that.
0: Yeah. So with Celtic spirituality or Celtic Christianity, Mm -hmm. um, do you think that it needs that label? Or can you experience
1: life through Christ as you just described? Or does that help? That label is helping me right now, just because the way they talk about theology is helping me. For instance, I grew up in a Christianity that said, you know, babies were born in sin. Mm. And and Celtic Christianity say that babies are born in blessing. So there is no original sin, Mm -hmm. something that you have to overcome. You're born beautiful and perfect and God is within you. So that's like a theology that helps me have better words for my experience. I mean, that's how I experience babies. (laughs) They're beautiful and perfect, you know, and uh, the idea that God lives in everybody and you look for that light. If we walked around looking for the light of God in everybody, wouldn't the world be a better place? Mm -hmm. You know, and I love that they say that, you know, not that everything is God, like trees aren't God, but God lives in everything. So I can be with a tree and I can spend time with the tree and I can experience God through the tree and it really helps my soul. Yeah. So for me, I find myself closest to God often when I'm in nature. Mm. So those parts of Celtic Christianity really help me a lot. Yeah. So with Celtic
0: Christianity, how long have you been experiencing this? new
1: Not that long. You know, just the last couple of years, I've been reading a lot. It comes out of Scotland and Ireland. And when Rome came in and tried to make everybody do Christianity in a more legal way, like, you know, you had to be a Christian or you can be beat up or whatever. (laughs) The Celts said, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to keep our faith the way it is and so they kind of hid from the romans and they kept their faith what i think of as more pure just love and kindness and things like that
0: yeah uh how do you define religion
1: What is religion? I think religion's man-made that, you know, people have trouble with the ambiguity of not having rules, like you said, and, you know, we need structure, we need rules. So it's natural for people to put a lot of rules around their religions. And if you're good at following rules, then you're good at your religion, but um, (laughs) I tend not to be very good at following rules.
0: (laughs) Do you feel like the Celtic Christianity has less rules? Are there any rules in
1: there? I don't think there are any rules. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, mean, it's very I guess, you know, there are more like guidelines, like love God, love each other. That would be a guideline. But obviously there are moral things, you know, don't kill people stuff like that. Just normal, ethical, moral things, but I don't see any rules.
0: Okay. So standing outside of yourself, you know, just being someone who would be looking into your life right now, do you feel like anyone maybe closer to you, maybe your family or friends not related to Celtic spirituality would see any cult-like experiences in you practicing this now
1: after leaving the original Christianity that you were involved in? Um, I don't know if they would think of it as cult-like, but they would definitely, I've had a lot of people say, you know, Jackie's left the faith or she's on a slippery slope. (laughs) That's a word I hear a lot. You're on a slippery slope there. You know, that I'm not a Christian anymore. And that's not really true. I feel like I'm closer to God now than I've ever been. And I love my faith and it's just developed and grown and gotten bigger. But to people that are within that more specific way of looking at faith, they just probably think I'm pretty crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anything
0: that you that would stand out that you practice in Celtic spirituality that someone would see and say, "Okay, that's weird," or <laughs> you not make a connection outside of yourself because you see it all as good?
1: Oh, they probably think it's weird that I love trees so much. I live in the desert, oh, so yeah. I actually have to drive a couple hours to go hug trees and. <laughs> I do that about once a month and I love to be in silence and solitude and just listen to nature. And um, I really feel full when I do that. They probably think that's weird, but it works for me. I like it.
0: Jackie, I definitely appreciate you sharing this experience with me, and I know originally we talked about two different topics, and so mm-hmm. I wanted to bridge them both together because, of course, the the cult or the Christianity or the, the transition. So I keep telling you we're in the cult, but to me, it's <laughs> just that a transition from one faith to a different faith, and the transition still created liberation. Like it seems like there was one that was a little bit more rule base and the other has a little bit more lack of rules and more like liberty within it mm-hmm. um, so I feel the transition or I hear the transition and so I want to bridge it to the series that I just completed about depression so that was another question that I had for you
1: mm-hmm. um,
0: experience of depression and anxiety did any of that happen during this transition or was your experience with either depression or anxiety outside of religion or faith
1: I think um The bouts that I've had with depression have definitely been circumstantial. They've been deep. And when you're a therapist, you know, it's like being a doctor. So you're the last person to know. (laughs) I'm like, oh, you know, two months later, I think I'm depressed. Um, (laughs) But uh, yeah, I'm sure that I went through some of that because it was like, uh, it felt like um, being, I don't know, rejected and that people... Suddenly, like you're a national trainer in your organization. Everyone thinks you're amazing. And suddenly you're just uninvited to everything and no longer can be a speaker at conferences and camps and women's things. Um, So, yeah, it was a lot of rejection and hurt and disorientation. So I'm sure that I was. And that's happened to me a couple of times. Different things that have happened in my life that have caused periods of depression. And I recognize them now a little quicker than I used to. Yeah. So if you
0: can remember, what was your first experience with depression? How did you know that it was depression that you were experiencing? And was there a momental, monumental? moment to, I, don't, I don't know <laughs> was there an act that happened or an experience that happened that activated depression for you? It could be outside of the religion.
1: Yeah, I think the time that's most clear to me, my son was in the army and he walked off his base and went missing for two months. And so we didn't know if he was alive or dead or what happened to him or if he was crazy or drug addict. You know, we just didn't know because we just was awful. It's the worst thing I can think of, uh, not knowing if your kid is okay. And I remember just losing my desire to get out of bed, um, spending a lot of time eating chocolate and (laughs) just watching tv and not wanting to go to work and and when you're a therapist you know that those are the signs right that's what we always ask people are you eating more or eating less are you sleeping more are you sleeping less have you lost interest in things you normally were interested in so those are all the things where it happened to me but it took me a while to realize oh i'm different. Depressed, And so when I realized that it was like, okay, this happened, this is hard and I'm depressed. My body is depressed. What should I do? And so I just sort of lowered the bar for myself and I said, okay, you know, wear waterproof mascara so you can cry, you know, sleep more, just let yourself eat more, whatever you need. And if you don't feel better in three more months, you need to get your butt to a doctor and get some medicine. <laughs> So I gave myself a sort of a grieving time frame and that helped a lot. Yeah,
0: this is interesting because being a therapist and then experiencing something that you help other people through, I wonder if you had a moment where you had to be a therapist to yourself and, Mm -hmm. or tried to be a therapist to yourself. And do you feel like it was effective or did you feel like you didn't want to
1: hear the therapy? (laughs) That's a good question. I think mostly I just realized that if it didn't go away, I was going to need to get help. Yeah. And you know, but I, I've been to therapy before most therapists have, I wouldn't trust a therapist who hadn't been to therapy, but, um, I thought, okay, this is bigger than me, and if I can't deal with it myself, then I just I'm going to have to go get help.
0: So, how long did it take, and did you ever go get help?
1: Uh, I didn't. I yeah, I came out of it. Well, one thing we found my son, and he was okay, so that helped a lot. But um, but now when it happens, I think once you experience that kind of depression, it happens more frequently. So now when it happens, I just allow myself to feel it. Because I think part of depression is that we try to shut it down. We don't listen to it. We don't invite it to tell us what's going on and listen and feel our feelings. At least that's the way I was raised. So now I try to do the what I call the welcoming prayer. And I'm like, okay, anger or okay, depression. Welcome. Here you are. You're part of me. What is it you want to say to me? What am I not hearing? What do I need to do? So that helps a lot because then I'm dealing with whatever's causing it, not just the depression. Yeah.
0: So interesting. I I was watching something on YouTube one day and there was a therapist that was a guest on the show. And it kind of highlighted to me that therapists are just humans, you know, <laughs> and they also are going to have these same experiences, but they have had this, you know, wealth of knowledge or, you know, practice it for such a long time in order to help them teach it to other people. But like you mentioned earlier, that a therapist also needs a therapist, which I think, you know, should be at the forefront when you're experiencing therapy is that your therapist is not going to do all the work for you, but we all have to do the work for ourselves even with that guidance that we have for therapists because Mm -hmm. with you being a therapist you still had to kind of dig into yourself (laughs) like that therapist outside of yourself didn't really exist it was more like you had to say to yourself like I need to do this you know it wasn't like you know because I think about like a you know a person in a room with a therapist (laughs) (laughs) is you and yourself you know and it's like are you listening to you as a therapist or are you listening to you internally trying Mm -hmm. to help you through that process yourself. I think it kind of opens up the discussion if, you know, people decide that they want therapy or not. Is there a middle ground where if you are in the position to therapy yourself? that also as help just as helpful as having a therapist but it's like you know do it yourself <laughs>
1: <laughs> do it yourself therapy
0: yeah <laughs> do it yourself therapy or you know go out and, and get therapy so thank you for that um have a game for us to play okay and um because we're, we're leaving off on depression and you are a therapist i think this will be really fun <laughs> but how you respond so this game is called thought er and so it's the emergency remember thoughts but <laughs> i, I am going to share with you this time and in my other games I usually just kind of have a statement
1: mm-hmm. um,
0: but this time I'm going to have characters and scenarios and you have one minute on the clock for each scenario so I'll, I'll okay. share the scenario with you and then you'll respond however you want to respond you can go in the direction that the scenario was written or you can kind of you no know, move it into the direction that makes sense to you but you have 60 seconds and so when you have 10 seconds on the clock you can see this here that the listeners I'm holding up a little <laughs> a little marker to know that 10 seconds on one o'clock for that scenario. Okay. Uh, and so do you have any questions about that?
1: No, I'm ready. This is so fun. Yeah. So here we go.
0: <laughs> and here is the first story or scenario. And they all start off the same with just somebody's name. Hello, my name is. And they're sharing something with you and you're going to respond in a minute. Okay. Okay. All right. Hello, my name is Dollar. I have suffered from clinical bipolar depression since the age of 16, and I think it should be treated as a permanent disability with full governmental support. 60 seconds on the clock. Jackie, how do you respond?
1: Mm, Well, that's very complicated. Of course, I would have to find out their history and what medicines they've tried and what therapies have worked for them. I think that bipolar disorder can really be regulated between therapy and medicine. So I don't think it needs to be um, something that takes you out of your life. I've worked with a lot of people that have bipolar disorder and they've had very productive lives. So it doesn't have to equal a disability for a life.
0: All right. Next scenario. Hello. My name is James and my depression is related to my obesity, but I keep eating because I'm depressed. What's wrong with me? 67 Mm -hmm. o'clock. How do you respond?
1: Well, that's a very circular problem, right? That we all have. I'm a depressive eater myself. Um, Yeah. Well, I guess I would work with James to try to uh, look at what's underneath the depression, what's causing it, because it's not always going to be about the weight. As a trauma therapist, I believe a lot of weight gain uh, is related to unhealed trauma. And so I would probably do some EMDR with James and help him deal with the trauma that's causing his depression and his need to eat. All
0: right. Next one. Hello, my name is Bria and I think depression and anxiety are made up concepts. 60 seconds on a clock. How do you respond?
1: Well, depression and anxiety are real. One depression is about the past. Anxiety is about the future. So people are depressed because of something that's happened generally in the past. And they're anxious because of something that hasn't happened yet in the future. But you know, if you don't want to believe that, honey, that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) That was cute. All right. Next one. Hello, my name
0: is Blue. I've been stuck in a relationship for four years and I can't get out, it's causing me depression. How do I escape? 60 seconds on the clock, how do you respond?
1: Well, I would definitely want to know more about why they can't get out and what is bad about the relationship. It's, you know, is it abusive? Uh, Is it, are you dating a narcissist? Uh, You know, what's going on there that's keeping you afraid to leave? Do you not have the resources financially? I would just need to a lot more information about that to try to make a plan to leave would, you know, would be important.
0: All right. And last one. Hello, my name is Rio and I just left a cult. I don't believe in God anymore. I don't exist. I feel empty. How do you respond?
1: You don't exist. Is that what you said? Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, I would say welcome. I'm glad you're here. And um, I want to hear all about your experience and I want you to know this is a safe place to tell me about it. I have no expectations for you and I have no judgment for you and your experience is 100% legitimate and I can't wait to hear it and walk through it together. Awesome. Well, you have just got through <laughs> another self-tivity
0: shenanigan. <laughs> oh, how fun. That was everyone really fun. listening, these are impromptu. And Everyone that comes on the show has no idea what <laughs> scenario or question or opinion that I'm going to present to them. So I'm always impressed that everybody's just so good. <laughs> so good at responding on, and with the, the timer too, I would be like, uh, uh, I don't know. <laughs> But thank you for sharing your thoughts with us. And I want to now have you share with our listeners your self-tivity statement. For those who are listening for the first time, self-tivity statement is my version of an affirmation, but there's nothing new other the a It's just the way that... <laughs> So there is your affirmation. What are you trying to affirm in your life or this day, this week um, with your passion? And then couple that with a support and action. How do you support that statement? I mean, that goal that you have, that affirmation that you have. So Jackie, mm-hmm. what is your self statement?
1: My statement is my life goes well when I get out of the house and get outside in nature. So my activity is take a walk.
0: Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> I like it. Simple, simple and very clear. I yeah. love it. And that's the goal, right? If right. we can start doing these behaviors, we know that we can attach ourselves to the notes of affirmation can become more realistic. I want to be a millionaire. So what is your behavior? <laughs> that, you know, or do In you- lottery. Have... <laughs> right, right. Uh, well, Jackie, it's definitely been, just been awesome. You know, mm-hmm. having you share, invite all these different elements. You were able to like hit a lot of different points that I wanted to hit as I transitioned from speaking about anxiety and depression going into this call series. So thank you for, you know, sharing your story about your transition and then also your expertise as a therapist. (laughs) We got a whole bunch here. Yeah, we did. Know, we did your offer.
1: theres
0: <laughs> so a lot of things going here that, you know, we definitely can take away from you, especially because you, you have the expertise. And you also have stories like a human, you know, like mm-hmm. any other. So being well-versed in therapy, but also having experiences that your clients would have, you know?
1: Mm, yeah.
0: Uh, I think that's beautiful. And I like to reveal things like that because it's almost like we separate ourselves from people because of their expertise but you know some people can be an expert in the field um and some people can be an expert in the experiences of life you know that yeah. right. um, we all can learn from one another so I definitely appreciate you um being open to this conversation how can people connect with you uh, what are your outlets your social media your websites or anything that's going on with you right
1: now well my name is spelled funny so it's jackie turner but it's j-a-c-c-i-t-u-r-n-e-r jackie turner and really i am on almost all the social medias and you just have to look at my name oh, um, thank you. You go on amazon and type in j-a-c-c-i turner you'll find all my books there's 14 and if you want to go to my website it's jackieturner.com, and there's free books uh that you can get from the website too so so, pretty much, you can find me on TikTok and Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and all those places under Jackie Turner. Jackie, you are so cool. You're on all the social media. I cannot even,
0: <laughs> I'm trying to manage my Instagram, like the, <laughs> the level yeah. of just posting my story. (laughs) Yeah,
1: it's hard, but you know, I've been working on it a while, so.
0: Yeah, I definitely appreciate you sharing yourself and putting yourself out there, um, especially with all of the great gifts that you have.
1: Do you have anything
0: else that you want to share with the people before we say goodbye?
1: Well, I just want to say how much fun this was and how beautiful you are. And oh, thank you so you. much for inviting me. I really appreciate it.
0: I appreciate you. I, I really, really do. And I hope that, you know, we can have another conversation because I do want to talk about your role as an author in some of the stories that you create and, and what they're centered around and things like that. So I, you mentioned that you had some free books. And so maybe if I can, you know, get to them and get a review, we can kind of go into, you know, what that's like.
1: In oh, fun. Time. That'd be great. Yay. Play more games. Yes. I
0: love the games. Yay. So everyone who's listening, I appreciate you for being here and investing your time with us today. If there was any return on the time that you spent with Jackie, please let us know in the show comments. I will leave all of her information in the description. So if you want to connect with her or check out any of her, her content, you can. And until next time, hold on to you as much as you can. Hold on to your health, your being and your mind. Be mindful. Bye. Bye.